you would turn with me to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's pray. Father, you know how important it is to have shepherds of the flock. Lord, uh, many people don't realize your standard in this. They don't realize what the qualifications are. They don't realize what these men go through as shepherd of your flock. Lord, I ask that uh, you would go before me this morning. You would speak through me. It be your words, not mine. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So I was looking at several websites this week, and, well, actually the last couple weeks, for quote-unquote... Church staffing. One site touted a two-year guarantee for senior pastors through their website searches. What what do you guarantee for two years with that? The same site had this statement. The most expensive hire you'll ever make is the wrong hire. There's great truth to that. If you hire someone who is not following God to protect and watch over the souls of the church, then yes, it will result in the highest cost there could ever be, the cost of hell and damnation to those following. The same site claims to be able to guide you through the hiring process at every level, from job description to signed offer letter. Many churches today find it necessary to hire pastoral staff that meet specific educational and personality and skill set requirements. As if the church were a business and the people in the church are paying customers to come and be entertained and psychologically counseled. There are many titles given to these people. Just to name a few, worship pastor, which seems to refer to the one who is to lead music. Senior pastor, they seem to be considered somewhat of a CEO, if you may. One that I found, kind of interesting title, Pastor of Spiritual Formation. What What is that? I I don't know. I mean, if sounds important. Then, of course, you have your administrative pastor, who from the job descriptions I've seen is equivalent to like a company human resources director. But last but not least, you have your youth pastor to take care of your children so you don't have to be bothered with them 
while you're being entertained in the pew. Many churches are filling these roles with women, which is not biblical either. I have uh, some lists of different candidate requirements here I wanted to read. You could probably guess what they're what type of quote-unquote title they are by what these are. First one here is, uh, the ideal candidate will be a seasoned and talented public speaker and teacher, someone with experience in a church setting with 750 or more regular attenders, someone with experience working with high-capacity staff, an energetic leader of leaders, interested in a capable and continuing existing social media broadcast and other outreach-based efforts. Someone with the potential to be a future thought leader in American Christianity. This is a unique and rare opportunity with a church that has an impressive history of long-tenured senior pastors and staff. If you couldn't figure that one out, that was a senior pastor. Another one says the requirements are creativity, humility. It's not such a bad thing. Humility, right? Spiritually sensitivity. Committed to excellence. Effective communicator. A servant leader. Then it goes on. Bachelor degree in music worship or related field. Seminary degree preferred. Three to five years of experience in church worship slash music ministry, included worship planning, implementation, and leading. If you couldn't guess, that was a quote-unquote worship pastor to lead the music. This next one here. Two or more years of hands-on youth and adult ministry experience. Effective pastoral leadership. Consistent involvement with the pastor needs of students. Systematic team building and leadership development. Ability to communicate vision. Student ministry health assessment analysis and restructuring. Health assessment? (laughs) That's an interesting one. Proficient in Excel Word and Outlook. Must be willing to learn new programs as needed. Leadership and administrative experience. That was for a youth pastor. This next one here. Possess an MA or bachelor's in the business field or MA or MDiv, preferably in ministry slash theology. Experience in business or ministry administration. Self-awareness. Empathy towards others and open to direction and guidance. Competent, light-hearted, and self-led. Confidence, this could be long-term job. Digitally competent, able to manage projects and provide group training. Excellent writing skills and communication, able to manage and mediate conflict. Competent in financial software. Google Suite and Apple Suite, lay elder or pastoral experience preferred, and teaching skills preferred. 
This was for an administrative pastor. And last but not least, this next one happens to be this pastor of spiritual formation. Says there to have a thriving relationship with Jesus. I would hope so. Excellent interpersonal skills, strong leadership skills, with the ability to recruit and equip lay leaders, formal training, or similar experience, ability to take coach, problem solve, and catalyze positive change, passion for seeing life change through discipleship in small groups. That one was actually in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, from the job description, it was sounded important. It was actually like a small group coordinator kind of pastor. I thought those were interesting. It's interesting to see what churches are saying they want with their leadership. So the question is, is this what is really what God demands for church leadership? The resounding answer? No, it's not. That's not God's requirements for church leadership. This shows tragically that the church has perverted itself. That the people in the pews are willing to hire strangers with educational and whatnot skill sets than to bring people in from within as leadership. So let's look at God's Word to see what God's standard is. So the first thing is, who are these people that we're to put in leadership? In our text here in Peter, verse 1 calls himself a fellow elder. These are... uh, He's identifying himself with the leadership of the church, calling himself an elder and those in the leadership elders. These are the elders among the congregation. They're not strangers, and neither is Peter a stranger to them. We go to Titus 1.6. Paul is telling Titus, Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband or one wife, and having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. And actually, I needed to back up. I'm sorry. He said, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. So he's saying elders again also. he Down in verse 7, he says the overseer. First Timothy 3, and this is where we're going to actually camp out for a while. So if you wanted to turn there. First Timothy 3.1 is a trustworthy statement that if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is fine work he desires to do. Acts 20.28 
says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. They're called overseers in this text. So when we, whenever we see elders and overseers, they're derived from the same word. These men are not strangers that you put an ad online to find. They're among the congregation. They're people, and the people know them well. They know their reputation and their character, and the church recognizes these men's giftings in the body of Christ. Turn back to 1 Timothy 3. We're going to look at the qualification of these overseers and elders. Shepherds are also, whenever you see the word shepherd, it's also included in that. So we're going to do 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now these qualifications, many of them are fairly self-explanatory, but I'd like to expand on these here, if I could. We look at verse 1. The first one happens to be gender. These are men. It says it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Verse 2 says that he must be the husband of one wife. How could a woman be a husband? This day and age, they may want to try, but it's not possible. All the references in this passage, 1 through 7 here, are in the masculine form. It coincides also with 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 14. where he says, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. This is specifically saying that men are to be the leadership. Woman is not to exercise authority over a man. She's not to teach over a man either. Titus 1, 5-9, through 9, 
he also shows there that these are men. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order where remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man is above reproach, the husband and one wife, and so on. If you look at 1 Peter 5, 1-2, it also refers in the male form. Again, Acts twenty twenty eight, which we read, referring to men. Everywhere you see Scripture in reference to elder, pastor, overseer, shepherd is always in the male form. This happens to be one of two qualifications that separate elders from deacons. 1 Timothy 3.11 speaks of this. Speaking of deacons, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. That gives way for women to become deacons. But this is separated, deacons and elders. This is one of the two qualifications, again, that separates deacons from elders. So we look at... We looked at the fact that it needs to be male and gender. Now we need to look at this next piece in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. We look at the word aspires, it means to stretch out for, or to reach out after, or to yearn for. The word in the Greek for desires means a passionate lust. Okay? This man who is the leader, he has an overwhelming urge and desire to serve God in the capacity of overseeing, teaching, and feeding the congregation of God's people that are entrusted to him. He outwardly pursues this work, with a strong, passionate, inward desire. This is not somebody who is faint of heart. This is somebody who has this great and strong desire to lead the people of God in the church. The next thing we look at, it says... In verse 2, he must be above reproach. This means that he is blameless. Meaning that there's no valid accusation of wrongdoing against him. His life is beyond public scandal. Doesn't mean that he has lived a sinless life of perfection. Only Jesus did that. Obviously, before salvation, we all have sinned. This is saying that no one can hold a wrong against him. He has done no wrong, that even if he is accused of one, it can never hold up to scrutiny. The next thing we see here, city is to be the husband of one wife. This literally means a one-woman man does not speak of marital status, single or married, 
we see that Paul says he was single. If you look at 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 9, Paul says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. I would say Paul held the qualifications of leadership in the church. And yet, he was not married. So this does not speak of marital status. It does not speak of divorce. This is speaking of moral and sexual purity. The man is devoted singularly to a single woman through his thoughts and deeds. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5 through For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. There's also an implication here that he is committed to his relationship with a woman, not a man. Romans one twenty seven, And in the same way also, the men abandon the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. You know, uh, a while back in Colorado Springs, there was a pastor who was caught in an adulterous relationship with a man. There was for a good while, actually, during that same time period, there was a couple others around this area that got caught doing the same thing. That is not the leader of God's people. The leader of God's people does not go after men for a sexual relationship. The tragedy is that man went on, founded another church, and many of the people followed him. That's how much leadership in a church has on the people of the church. The next one here, next qualification, is there to be temperate. That means alert or sober-minded. Next is prudent, meaning to be self-controlled. I think that's fairly self-explanatory. Next one is respectable. Again, something that's fairly self-explanatory, meaning to be orderly is what the word means. This next one here is one that uh, is pretty significant. It says they're hospitable. This literally means loving strangers. Okay? Loving strangers. This word is displayed five times in Scripture. 
in this text, we're looking at now, Hebrews 13.12, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. 1 Peter 4.9 Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Romans 12.13 Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And Titus 1.8 we have, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. That's another part of qualifications of the elder. Twice, this word is a requirement of elders and overseers. In this text in Titus one eight, every time it is displayed, it is referring to this type of behavior towards someone who is of God. Hebrews 13.2 shows that uh, it is someone who has shown entertaining angels without knowing they were entertaining angels. I'd say angels are of God. 1 Peter 4.9 instructs hospitality to the fellow believers. Romans 12.13 speaks of hospitality as contributing to the needs of the saints. I know this might be a shock to many, but we don't know everyone that is saved. There are many people who are saved. They're strangers to us. We don't know them. (laughs) It's not like when everybody gets saved all of a sudden the the letter S appears on their chest. (laughs) So it's important that the elder of the church have a love for those strangers who are part of the body of Christ. We're not called to live in a bubble and ignore everyone else. Peter got in trouble for this. Galatians two eleven through fourteen, and Paul called him out on it. But when Cephas came to Antioch, meaning Peter, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Peter, being of Jewish descent, separated himself from the Gentile believers to hang out with the Jews. It caused division in the church, and he was opposed by Paul. So a big question is, if the leadership of the church doesn't have a love for strangers, how would we come to know people that we know, like Pastor Powell, 
Pastor Philip, the pastors we support throughout Russia and the rest of the world and Belarus. The realization is, is that through the loving of strangers, we have an enormous effect in the ministry of Christ and the lives of people that we may never be able to know until we are face to face with them in heaven. Let's move on to the next one, being able to teach. Okay? This, again, is one of two qualifications that separates elders from deacons. Deacons do not require the qualification of being able to teach. That is, uh, the qualification of deacons is the same chapter, verses 8 through 13. We also again see, as we read before, 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 14, that women are not to teach or exercise authority over a man. Doesn't mean that women can't teach. They can teach other women. They can teach children. There are some phenomenal Phenomenal female teachers. Many better than a lot of men. But uh, they are not to teach or exercise authority in the church over a man. They are not to be leadership of the church. And I know I'm probably in trouble for that one, but oh well. (laughs) The next one is not addicted to wine. This poses the fact the question, what influences you? Okay? If you've ever watched someone who has an addiction to something, whether it's alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, so on, you notice that many times they will do anything to fulfill that addiction. They'll make huge compromises and sacrifices to get that next fix. You ever watch somebody, I I always find it interesting, especially with the price of, I'm not even familiar with the price of cigarettes today, but uh, you ever watch somebody who needs a cigarette? They start getting fidgety. They start pacing. They start getting, you know, anxious and whatnot. And the longer it goes the worse it gets. And to the point where they start asking people, they'll find somebody who they see smoking. Hey, can I bum a cigarette from you? Can I get a cigarette from you? And that person knows the anguish they're going through and they will give them one because they know what that's like. And I'm sure they've done it before. But they will make compromises to get what they need for that addiction. That's something that the elder is to be free of. They're not to be addicted to anything so that they will not compromise on any level, especially a spiritual level, to fulfill a worldly addiction. You can't have that in someone who is leading the church, the flock of God. The next requirement of an elder, and overseer, is not pugnacious, but gentle and peaceable. Pugnacious literally means to strike. It's a physical altercation from someone who is hot-headed in a physically violent manner. 
The elder is not to be one who conducts himself in a violent manner, but he is to be physically gentle, abstaining from fighting. The next qualification is free from the love of money. They're not to love money or fame. 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Can't have that as a man of God, as a someone who says, or who, someone who is in leadership of the church. Jude 11 shows characteristics of those who preach for pay, says they mislead the people. Second Peter 2.3, Peter describes false teachers as greedy, exploiting you with false words. Basically, they're telling you what they want you to hear so they can extract money from you. It's a common practice among prosperity gospel preachers. They tell you to give them money, and in return, it'll be multiplied back to you. And they claim to be great prophets of God. No, the elder, the church leader, they have a confidence that God will provide for them. He has no worry of the things of this world. Matthew 6, 25-33 Jesus stated, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, do not worry then, saying what you will eat Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The true elder, the true leader, is not concerned with money or fame. He is not out for gain. He is concerned with serving the Lord and furthering the kingdom, even if it costs him significantly. We've seen this with our own pastor. He's given up wages, time, possessions, all sacrificially, 
so that our missionaries could be paid and supported, and so the members of the body would be fed spiritually. Next one is that he manages his own household well. The way the elder manages his house is a direct reflection of how he manages the affairs of the church. If you manage the things of your house with honor and dignity, you will do the same for the church. Titus 1.6 makes reference in this same uh, qualification as that he also has children who believe. Here it says that he keeps his children under control. Okay, This is not speaking of children who are quote-unquote saved believers. Okay, Only God can do that. Only God can control that. Now, this is speaking of discipline in the home. Okay? He keeps his under, his children under control with discipline. So as managing his house well, he has control over his house and his children through proper discipline. The next qualification is they're not a new convert. Okay, The elder is a spiritually mature man. He is confident in what the Word of God says. He has wisdom so that he does not doubt the Word of God. We look at James 1, 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Saying that if he doesn't ask for wisdom, he doesn't have wisdom, he can be tossed to and fro. He is mature in his faith, and he will not be deceived. He is faithful and diligent of the Word of God. He's not sucked into philosophies of the world because he is mature in his discernment. Second Timothy two, fourteen through sixteen. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene among them. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Again, Second Timothy four, three through four. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. The mature man of God 
will not get sucked into wrangling over useless words. He will not turn from the truth to myths. He will stand firm in sound doctrine in the truth of the word of God and in all he will guide and be guided in the ways of the Lord and not the ways of the world which would lead to destruction. A leader is not to be pulled by the world to lead the church to destruction, to lead those who are following to destruction. Lastly, <laughs> the elder will have a good reputation with those outside of the church. This doesn't mean that those outside of the church will agree with him on a spiritual or moral level. No. This is a gained respect in the community. Ask the question, how is the church to be the light of the world if it is known that his leadership is made up of liars and cheats and people of poor reputation. No one, not even liars or cheats, respect a man that is a liar and a cheat. Believe me, that is seen in the world. People see that. People see the televangelist preachers, the prosperity gospel preachers that have poor reputation, that take people for their money. They see that. They see that people are liars and cheats. Ephesians 4.25-29 We should know this fairly well by now. Terry put this into us. <laughs> I'm sorry, 25 through 29. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. One more, Philippians 2.14-16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. The elder has to have a good reputation outside of the church. If he doesn't, it taints the church. It taints what's going on with the church. 
So, in conclusion, we need to recognize the shepherds among us and know the standard at which God holds them. The Word of God does not instruct us to obey and submit to a stranger they were throwing a paycheck to so we can be entertained. No, he calls the church to ordain elders from men that we know who hold to God's high standard and have a strong, overwhelming, passionate desire to shepherd the flock of God that is seen by those in the flock. Last, I want to f- leave you with this. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they may do this with joy, not groaning, for this would be unhelpful for you. We are to obey the leaders. We are to submit to them. They are to watch over your souls. Let me ask the question, do you want to hire somebody, a stranger, to watch over your souls? I don't think so. That's not what God says. So next week, after we went through this long, drawn-out <laughs> message here, we'll take a look at the duties of the shepherd and the response from the church. So if you would uh, join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that uh, you have put leadership of the church to a high standard, to a high level, Lord. Lord, Let us not take for granted those who we have as your elders, your leaders. Lord, we see Terry and how he labors, and I don't think people understand that it's not just that he gets up in front of everybody on Sunday and preaches a word. Lord, I've watched some of his laboring. God, you call the leaders to be protectors of the flock, to watch over our souls. Lord, I ask that we would not make it hard for them. Yet, Lord, they also hold to your high standard of qualifications. Thank you, Lord. Amen.